The WNBA's stated reasons for not going to Portland are not necessarily the real reasons. Plus, we're taking a look at a major move in the women's soccer world and some tough decisions around sports funding for Washington, D.C. It's Monday, November 6th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. The WNBA shocked many, including myself, when they announced last week that they will not be putting a team in Portland as had been widely expected. Joining me now to discuss is sports columnist at the Oregonian, Bill Oram. Welcome, Bill. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you. Because, um, yeah, there's, I've got a lot of questions about the mm-hmm. WNBA and it not going to Portland. That felt like a foregone conclusion not so long ago. Now it's not happening. So why did the WNBA pull out here? Well, there's obviously some conflicting uh, viewpoints on this, because if you listen to Kathy Engelbert and what she said in her letter to Oregon Senator Ron Wyden on Wednesday, uh, her justification was that um, renovations the Portland Trailblazers have planned to Moda Center and kind of the surrounding complex in consecutive summers later in the decade would displace the WNBA franchise, and that did not work for the WNBA. That came as a shock to a lot of people in in market. Um for a variety of reasons, one being that those renovations had not been a surprise. So Portland was seen as being on the very edge of making an announcement of having landed a WNBA team that was seen as imminent. And to then have that fall through over something that had been well established and part of conversations for months, if not years, um, left a lot of people scratching their heads. And what I had heard last week and had been chasing down ever since was that the real death knell here was the Uh, withdrawal from the project by Kirk Brown. Kirk Brown had been the proposed owner of the team. He was the one putting up the $50 million expansion fee and is a former co-founder of Zoom Info. So um, he had been, you know, the the face of this, not a particularly outspoken advocate, but was seen as the as the financial backbone of this proposal. And what we reported today was that, in fact, this deal was considered done and an announcement was planned on a, for October 26th. So just a few days ago, they were planning on, an, on on rolling out this team. And it was only a few days before that, that Kirk Brown um, pulled out because of uh, differences he had with the WNBA, with Kathy Engelbert, including branding of the team. The name that he liked was getting significant pushback from the WNBA. He wanted to name the Rose City Royalty. And that was something that um, I think my understanding is that Kathy Engelbert felt had a connotation that maybe the WNBA didn't want to get behind. And so she was hoping for something else. And I think at a certain point, Kirk um, felt that there were a lot of hoops to jump through and a lot of a lot of rules in, in joining the ranks of WNBA ownership. And, you know, this is somebody who is an entrepreneur, has been, you know, the head of a major company, and and maybe he was not totally comfortable with that level of oversight. And so he ended up pulling out really just days before this team was expected to be unveiled. Wow. All right. So, um, yeah, that, that's a very different narrative uh, from the, the public facing one. Makes some sense because I had that same question. Like, didn't they already know about these renovations? You know, like, did, did they just announce these and I, I missed it? And, you know, so, yeah, that's clarifying but also brings up a lot of questions how just for my own curiosity how big a deal was the name thing because it feels like surely we can arrive at a name that that everyone is okay with i think it was i i i can't speak to how um how big of a piece of the pie that was um it was presented to me as one of you know 
multiple issues. Another being that Kirk Brown has an investment stake in Shoot 360, the um, the basketball training facility that has uh, facilities across the country. And there was a, a point of view that that would be a conflict of interest if he owned a WNBA team and he was unwilling to give up his his investment stake in that. So I think really we should look at this all in as sort of the, the totality of the rules and conditions of bringing this team to Portland that he was going to encounter if this was his project and if he was the owner governor of, of this team. And so, you know, um, was it the last straw? Was it, you know, an earlier straw? I can't necessarily say, um, I would agree with you that you should be able to work through something like that. And I would, I would dare say you could probably work through all of these issues individually, but, um, at a certain point it just became, up, it reached a point where Kirk, as far as I understand it from the people I've spoken to, kind of threw up his hands and said, you know what, maybe this isn't for me after all. And the WNBA ends up with egg on its face because that happened at the absolute 11th hour. Yeah, right. I'm wondering if they can come up with another rich person somewhere in Portland. I mean, if, if everything else was ready to go, they've got their arena, they've selected Portland as as the place they want to be of all the you know possible cities in the U.S. or you know North America. Um, you know, there's Jody Allen. Surely there, there are others, you know, maybe even like a you know, Bezos type from Seattle would be willing to own a team in Portland. Is there any, do you get any sense that they could just find someone else? Well, what I can say is that there are efforts underway to round up a, a new ownership group and to, and to build a new ownership group. Um, whether those will be successful, I do not know. Um, whether Jody Allen has any interest, um, that, that would not track just because she is, in the process of divesting assets and is moving toward an eventual sale of the trailblazers. Um, but I know that there are people in Portland who are working uh, feverishly to try to get together another ownership group and present that to the WNBA and see, say, Hey, look, here's the money. We still have the money, but it's interesting because the WNBA has now backed itself into a corner where it says, the reason we're not doing this is because of renovations to Moda Center. Well, that's not going to change. Those renovations are going to happen. And so if that was the disqualifier, or if that's what you're standing by as the disqualifier, how do you walk that back when, you know, a white knight uh, rides in to save the day? And I, I don't mean I don't mean to suggest Phil Knight, by the way, even though that is that is the person that all people do tend to point to whenever there's a uh, a shortage, a shortfall when it comes to sports funding in, in the state of Oregon. Um, my understanding so far, you know, I think you could probably connect these dots, but Phil Knight has tried to buy the trailblazers and has been, uh, met with resistance from Jody Allen. So I think Phil Knight's stance, as I understand it would basically be like, Hey, like I'll, I'm, I'm interested in the WNBA, sell me the blazers too. And so that creates a yet a different, another stalemate. So I don't really see Phil as a, um, as, as a solution to this particular conundrum in Portland, but there are people with money. I mean, there have been, you know, there have been various groups interested in moving in to buy the Portland thorns, the NWSL team that is currently for sale and is working through hopefully the final stages of a sale. Um, are there groups that were interested in, in getting involved there that ended up not having success that would pivot to the WNBA? I mean, that's speculation on my part, but it, it does seem like there has been, um, there have been enough people tied to sports teams in Portland that there, there are people here who know who to call uh, when you need to find that kind of money and that kind of uh, owner. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all, all that makes plenty of sense. And you think, I mean, the WNBA is, is a, it's a hot commodity right now. You can still get in for $50 million, which you can't do that for, you know, MLB, NBA, um, certainly not the NFL. Um, yeah. I, 
you know, if it's just the money, I mean, I don't have $50 million, but someone out there does. Anyway, I, I'm curious to be interested to see if, if someone steps up or if they end up pivoting. Um, and I would just, I would just add Owen, because, um, you know, I wrote yesterday that the deal had fallen through and that, you know, those plans had been shelved. And I had several people from different corners of this situation reach out and say, I'd be cautious with saying it's dead. You know, we don't, we, you know, and we're, we are trying, you know, there's been, there's been, there've been conversations about finding money elsewhere. Um, it's unclear how viable those would end up being or how receptive the WNBA would be. But the only person who's really indicated that this is dead would be Kathy Engelbert in her letter to Senator Wyden. And, um, you know, one wonders how easy it might be to walk that back or to clarify it if, um, if new money were to arrive. Right. And I know you're more on the Portland side than the WNBA side of all this, but have you gotten any inkling as to what the WNBA might do here now that they were supposed to add a team and they're not for the moment? Well, I mean, make no mistake. They were all in on Portland. This was a, you know, I, I hate to say a done deal because it obviously right, yeah. wasn't, wasn't quite, <laughs> it was, it was seen as a done deal from all sides. And um, this was where the WNBA intended to put its 14th team. And, you know, you've heard reports out of Toronto that the MLS e-group had, had sort of pulled its, its bid. Um, it's similarly in Denver. It sounded like that momentum had stalled. I don't get the sense and people I've spoken to have said this as well, that the WNBA is pivoting to another city. It's not as simple as, Hey, Bismarck, Hey, you know, um, <laughs> you know, uh, Scottsdale, um, you know, here, here, here we come, um, Anchorage. So, you know, there has been suggested to me that the WNBA would play with an odd number of teams in 2025 and try to add a 14th team in 2026. Um, that would not seem likely to be Portland just because of that actually does get more into the renovations window at Moda center. One thing that I was told about the Moda center renovations that was really interesting was that, um, not only have the Blazers been accommodating and eager to share Moda Center with a WNBA team, but those renovations they have planned actually got pushed back a year or they were had shown a willingness to push those back a year um, in order to allow the WNBA team to have two full seasons at Moda Center before they were displaced by those renovations for a year. And this, again, not a surprise because uh, the WNBA sent sent an envoy to Portland to look at the arena, to look at the facilities, to look at Memorial Coliseum, which is the now 63-year-old arena that sits adjacent to Moda Center. It's home of a, of, of a junior hockey team now. But, um, you know, could it be retrofitted to be WNBA ready for a year or two if necessary. And, and those plans were all underway. So again, that speaks to why um, there was a real lack of um, understanding, I think on the ground in Portland about, about Kathy's uh, statement and, and whether that was to simply um, give Kirk Brown a level of cover uh, because of his decision. But that also confuses me as an observer because the trailblazers and, and the city of Portland, which owns that land are partners. The W will, the WNBA will need in the future. If they do have aspirations of, of locating a team in Portland, whereas Kirk Brown now seems like somebody they are no longer going to be doing business with. Yeah. Very interesting. I feel like we're, we're on chapter five or something of, of, you know, of a longer story. Um, uh, very, uh, very interesting stuff. Bill Orham, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
Over the last decade, Chelsea has dominated the Women's Super League, which is the top tier women's soccer league in England. And it hasn't been close. They have won the league six of the last seven years and are in first place after five matches this year, most recently a 6-0 victory over Aston Villa. Chelsea has also won five FA Cups, two League Cups, one Spring Series, and one Community Shield in that span. All of that dominance has been under head coach Emma Hayes, and that will end after this season because Hayes is going to be the new coach of the U.S. women's national team. The former USWNT coach Vlako Andonovsky left after a hugely disappointing exit in the first round of the World Cup last summer. And to bring on Hayes, the USWNT is likely to make her the highest paid women's soccer coach in the world. Her salary could match that of U.S. men's team coach Greg Berhalter, which the Philadelphia Inquirer reported last year was $1.6 million, and it may well have gone up since then. The move could represent a turning point for a U.S. team that is still reeling from a huge underperformance, and for Chelsea, who's going to have a much harder time recruiting top talent with Hayes gone after the season. It's a single transaction that's going to be felt on multiple continents. Over to Washington... Monumental Sports and Entertainment, owned by Ted Leonsis, is the owner of the Washington Wizards, Capitals, and Mystics. It also owns a G League team, multiple esports teams, and it may one day own the Washington Nationals. Monumental also owns Capital One Arena, home to the Wizards, Capitals, and Georgetown Hoyas, which apparently could use an $800 million renovation. They'd rather not pay for that, because who would? And so they're asking the city of Washington, D.C. for $600 million, according to the Washington Post. The city and Monumental released a joint statement about how they have a great relationship, and it didn't actually say a whole lot, but it's notable that they are releasing joint statements this early in the process. DC, however, has a lot on its plate when it comes to sports funding. They're trying to bring back the Washington Commanders, who need a new home, and the Nationals have asked for a new tax on parking and concessions at their city-owned Nationals Park to pay for maintenance and modernization. The nation's capital may be put in the awkward position of deciding which of their teams are most worthy of public funds. On Sunday, the Hanshin Tigers won the Japan Series, defeating the Oryx Buffaloes in seven games. Fans were finally able to perform a celebration that I'm sure many had been anticipating for years by gathering around the Dotenbori Canal in Osaka and throwing a person dressed as Colonel Sanders into the water. Perhaps you are wondering why. It dates back to the Tigers' last championship 38 years ago, when following their team's victory, fans were reveling next to the Dotenbury Canal, and people who resembled players on the team started jumping into the water, and then everyone would cheer as if they were that player. Why? Because you get to act a little crazy when your team wins a championship. That's what this is all about. But eventually, they got to American Randy Bass. They couldn't skip Randy Bass. He had hit 54 homers that year. But no one there looked like Randy Bass. But the Tigers fans found a worthy stand-in in the form of a statue of Colonel Sanders advertising a nearby KFC. The Colonel was thrown into the canal, thus beginning the curse of Colonel Sanders. The Tigers did not win a single championship after that fateful night until Sunday. Congratulations to the Tigers on the victory and for breaking the curse and for having perhaps the most random celebration of any major team I know of. Up next, our newsletter co-author Eric Fisher went to Las Vegas. He saw the sphere, he saw the F1 prep, and a little after that, he saw the earnings of Formula One owner Liberty Media. We talked about all of that, and that conversation is coming up right after this. Our own Eric Fisher just got back from Las Vegas and has stories to tell. Welcome, Eric. <laughs> Hello. So, first of all, you went to the Sphere. Uh, I which, did. Yeah. You just give us this. Is does it live up to the hype? Not only does it live up to the hype, it completely exceeds the hype. It, it's one of those things. A lot of stuff doesn't sort of meet its initial billing. This does, and then some. Um, 
So if you have the means, if you have the ability, I strongly urge you to go. It was like nothing I'd ever seen before. And did you see an event there or did you just get the tour or something? So, no, I was uh, at the... 17th of what will be 36 U2 shows overall. So I saw U2 concert was GA nice and close and um but you know got the full effect of the screen as well and uh the largest LED screen and again it's it's this breaks completely new ground in what live entertainment is looking uh going to look like. We've now got a lot of sports properties looking at this venue, even though it wasn't designed for sports because it's that groundbreaking. Yeah, I was going to ask if you can imagine it as I mean, I, I guess a fight would be pretty easy to imagine. Can you imagine other sports things yeah, happening? It, 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 awards, ceremonies, drafts, those kinds of things. The, the way the set, the way the venue is set up, you've got this massive screen, obviously sort of the inside of a, a circle a sphere. Um but then you've got a small GA area and then four sections of tightly uh, pitched seating. So it almost really looks more like a giant Broadway theater more than anything else. So that's not necessarily an easy, natural fit for a sports venue. But could you get an octagon in there? Yeah. And, and UFC's at the top of the list of folks who've said that they want to be in there. Um, you could get a boxing ring in there. You could certainly get tables and a podium for, you know, again, you know, Hall of Fame induction and award ceremony, a draft, those kinds of things. Uh, but again, this is because of that world breaking LED screen. This just pushes into all sorts of new territory in terms of what video reinforcement looks like. Yeah, very interesting. I, I wonder if there will be an attempt at some kind of copycat somewhere in the I mean, I guess Dubai is its own thing, but yeah, somewhere in the country, the <laughs> but, world. Well, Dolan and Jim Dolan, the owner of the New York Rangers and Knicks, uh, he's he's working on a second sphere in London. And the idea is to have multiple spheres around the world. Now, these things, you know, this was two point three billion dollars in the case of Vegas. Maybe as you start to build more of them, some of those costs come down. But this is still not a easy proposition or anything for the faint of heart. So uh, the pathway is going to still be a slow road here. Yeah, got it. And uh, staying on your Vegas trip, um, you saw many signs of the coming F1 race there. Yeah, it was really interesting because uh, around the sphere itself, which is uh, uh, directly in the in the F1 uh, for the Las Vegas Grand Prix part of the race course, it, circles right around the sphere, no pun intended, but all along the, the strip itself, Las Vegas Boulevard, all sorts of grandstands and lighting apparatus and barriers because we're two weeks out now from the race and uh, it basically is going to take over the entire town. And in fact, it was really interesting to show the U2 show that I saw. It was the last before a 26 day hiatus uh, that they're they're shutting down that run of shows to basically make room for Formula One. And there was a lot of F1 chat during the concert itself that you know, the band is like, well, you know, we're going to give Las Vegas back to Formula One for the time being now. And then they're, you know, Bono's going on introducing the band as F1 drivers and, you know, just having a lot of fun with it um, because it is so omnipresent in this town that, uh, you know, I've been to a lot of events in a lot of places. I don't think I've ever seen and this is just that we're in the preliminary phase, having a, uh, an event take over a town as comprehensively as what we're seeing with Vegas and this Las Vegas Grand Prix. And uh, Liberty Earnings, also owner of F1, uh, also just released their their earnings for the, the most recent quarter. Um, any surprises in there? 
No, uh, you know, F1 is there's just been so much growth that people around the world and certainly in the United States is a particular growth uh, marker that, uh, you know, this is a sports property on the upswing. And so the the top line results in terms of Im- improved revenue and improved uh, operating profit, those are all fairly expected. What's interesting to watch getting back to Vegas specifically is the upfront cost to do this. Because again, to take over a town, it costs a lot of money, takes a lot of resources, and the upfront expenses have been greater than ex- than expected. And so because this is a publicly traded company, there's been a lot of eyes on this and a lot of expectation like, okay, you know, we know this is going to be a big, great event, but eventually you got to make money on this thing. And there, there is still optimism that in year two, three, and beyond that this uh, – event will pay off its for itself financially and they already feel like they're getting so much brand value and elevation because again the stature and the spectacle of this thing uh but again we've, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars in terms of upfront expense to make this thing happen and there's a little bit of stress there in terms of the liberty financials but again they feel like they're going to come through on the other side here yeah i mean as long as the hype just doesn't vanish into thin air looks looks like both the sphere and and f1 will be happy with their uh, their biggest investment yeah eric fisher thanks so much for joining us always a pleasure that's it for today. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app or come find us on Twitter at FOS underscore today. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow.